Would you turn in your Bible to John, the 20th chapter? John chapter 20, please. If you're wondering why the preacher is late in the service, I'll tell you, we had baptism a while ago, and that baptismal suit leaked, and I had to go change my clothes. <laughs> so we're all together now. God bless you. Turn in your Bible to John, the 20th chapter, and we'll begin with verse 19, John chapter 20. May we bow together in prayer, please. Our Father, we thank Thee for the privilege and honor of being here in the house of the Lord. We're thankful for all the songs that have praised Thee and the impact of believers meeting here and across the world to declare Christ is risen. We pray that just now, every man, woman, boy, and girl within the sound of the voice of this preacher will be moved by God, first of all, for us to examine our own hearts and then present that to Thee and then resolve to go in the power of the resurrected Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. In Sunday school this morning, we studied John the 20th chapter. And I don't know about the rest of the teachers, but I didn't get through. And I'd like for us to begin in chapter 20, beginning with verse 19. And we're talking this morning along the theme, the tomb, grave or glory. Listen to the word of God. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. The same day, it was Sunday morning, that Jesus arose from the dead, the first day of the week. The reason believers meet today on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, instead of the Jewish Sabbath, is because Jesus fulfilled the law. He came to fill it fuller. And Jesus was in the grave all through the Sabbath day. And early on the first day of the week, he arose from the dead. Christ is risen. And in those early years of the first church, when a disciple would meet another disciple on the road, he would say, Christ is risen, and the response would be, Christ is risen indeed, because it was such a traumatic, unbelievable experience that Christ was really alive from the dead. He was no longer dead. There was an empty grave. The witness of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all testify that Christ was risen. And those early disciples came Mary was the first to get there, Mary Magdalene, and then the other Mary, and then Joanna, and then Salome, and Peter and John, and so on. Early that morning, they came. They did not come to celebrate a resurrection. They came to mourn. They came to mourn a death. Have you ever gone out to a grave where you have buried somebody that was dear to you? You could hardly tear yourself away from the grave when you buried that precious one. And then pretty soon, 
the next day, or maybe even that same day, surely the next day, you went back to just stand there. And then from time to time, you go back again and again. Well, that's the way it was then. They did not go expecting a resurrection. But when they got there, the hopes and fears of all the years were fulfilled in that empty tomb. The angel said, he is not here, he is risen. Christ is risen. The tomb can be a terrible grave. Our loved ones, mother, daddy, grandfather, grandmother, little child, taken, snatched from our family circle. I'm sure even as I talk this morning all across this auditorium, there are people who realize and who have conjured up in their hearts the precious memories of some dear one who has been taken away in death. And it hurts. Tears are real. And if you have had no tears, they're on their way to you. They're coming. But when Christ was raised from the grave, he made of the grave a thoroughfare through which they could see far into the glory because Christ robbed death and the grave of its sting and its victory. Now, that same day in the evening, the disciples were gathered together. And it says, they were shut in, the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. I want you to notice that they were locked in by fear. These disciples were locked in by fear. Well, what do we fear? We know something about fear today. People are afraid of losing their jobs. We live in a time of rep repression, and we think of depression. Some who are older remember those dark years of the 30s when you couldn't find a job and you stood in soup lines and people are afraid. And some who depend upon factories have already known the sting of being without work. And we're afraid. Young people are afraid. They're afraid of their youth. They don't know how to handle it. Old people are afraid of getting old. It's really interesting. The young people want to get old and the old people want to get young. And people are afraid. We're afraid of our home problems. Home problems are real. We're afraid that our children will turn out bad. All kinds of fears march across the scenes of our imagination. Franklin Roosevelt used to say, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And fear is an awful monster that wraps its icicle fingers around us and drags us down. And sometimes that's what the tomb does. And as we face death, sometimes we're afraid. 
I told the people at the sunrise service this morning about a dear little lady who's in the hospital. She's, I think, 83, maybe older. She can't live very long. She has a terminal sickness. Her husband was in the same room with her. He was about 85. And just one morning, suddenly, he died. She couldn't even go to the funeral. It hurt her. She said, why couldn't it have been me? Why couldn't we go together? I was by to see her yesterday. I stood by her bed and heard her tell of envision seeing her husband come and stand by her side and say, come on home, come on home. And she smiled and she said, I'm coming home soon. She said to her daughters, don't you see your father? He's there calling me to come on too. Fear is real. Sometimes we're afraid of our, when we, of our health. We're afraid we'll get some kind of malignancy. We're afraid of all kinds of things. We're afraid that we're going to lose our looks. Do you know millions and millions of dollars that women spend, and men too, on trying to keep that which they can't keep? They're scared they'll lose it. <laughs> we're just all afraid. And these disciples were shut in by fear. And we know what that is. We can identify with them in this fear. But notice something else. Jesus came and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed them his hands and his side. Peace. In the midst of our fears, Jesus whispers peace. In the face of the tomb, if our confidence and trust is in Jesus Christ, there can be peace. Not later on. We have a song that we sing, Peace in the Valley. But there can be peace right now because Jesus whispers peace to the heart that is troubled. Jesus said in the upper room, the disciples didn't understand it, they didn't quite believe it, he said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. My peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus whispers peace when there's no peace. That peace that we desire comes from the Lord. You've wondered, how can I have peace? Peace of mind, peace of heart, peace in our home, peace in our world. That peace comes from the Prince of Peace. Jesus said, peace be unto you. Now notice, and when he had so said, he showed them his hands and his feet, his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. I like that. It doesn't say they were glad when they saw themselves. Sort of a hard thing for us to see ourselves. We hear a lot about self-analysis today and we go and examine ourselves or we sit around thinking about ourselves and so on. We're not very glad when we think about ourselves or when we see ourselves. Now, we cannot really be saved until we see ourselves in the plight of sin and the toll that it takes. But I'll tell you, it's not much fun to sit around and just look at yourself. 
I don't advise that kind of self-analysis. It leads to depression and despair and discouragement. Neither does it say they were glad when they saw each other. Now, we can be glad when we see each other, but you know the real answer to our problem is not in our friends. Earthly friends may prove untrue, doubts and fears assail. One still loves and cares for you, one who will not fail, and that's Jesus. Then were the disciples glad not when they saw each other. It's interesting how we, when we get, when we have problems, we go and talk to each other. Some man or some lady will have a problem, maybe in marriage, and they'll go and say, Helen, they go, you know, for a coffee break. You know how they do. And they'll get there and, they, and she'll say, Helen, 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 I'm having marital problems. And Helen says, come on, have another cup of coffee. Tell me all about it. I can help you, honey. She said, I'm an expert. I've been married four times. Tell me all about it. And you see, we don't really help each other. Oh, I'm not saying there's wrong for us to share our problems and burdens with one another. But this doesn't say they were glad when they saw each other. It says they were glad not when they saw their circumstances, but when they saw the Lord. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Have you seen the Lord? Have you seen Jesus? He's the one we love. He's the bright and morning star. He's the one who died on the cross for our sins. He's the one whose blood covers every sin, every shame, every stain. Now I want you to notice something else before our time is gone. Verse 21, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. This is a remarkable passage. You see, all of the disciples had forsaken Jesus. All of them. Judas had betrayed the Lord. Simon Peter had denied the Lord and the third time with profanity. And now they're assembled in the upper room and Jesus had died. There was one thing they knew. He was dead. They knew it. And now the women that morning had said, we've seen Jesus. Peter and John said he's alive. The, the tomb is empty. They didn't know how to take it. They didn't know what to do with it. And they're in, assembled in the upper room that night it was on Sunday night, and incidentally, don't miss Sunday night services. The first doubter in the New Testament was the man who missed the Sunday night service. His name was Tommy. And Tommy didn't come to church on Sunday night. And the next week, they said, why? Jesus was at church Sunday night. And they said, he said, I don't believe it. I'll not believe unless I put my hand in his nail prints and thrust my hand into his riven side. The next Sunday night he was there. But I want you to notice something. All these disciples had forsaken Jesus and now the Lord appears to them. Do you know he doesn't fuss at them? He doesn't give them down the road. He doesn't say, hey boy, what's been wrong with you? Why have you, where have you been? What you've been doing and so on? He doesn't do anything like that. 
He just loves them. He just reaches out to them. He says, peace be unto you. Listen, I don't understand why people are afraid of Jesus. Why are they afraid to trust him? Sometimes people look upon our invitations like we're inviting people to, to get poison ivy or something. Jesus loves you. He's not going to bawl you out and scold you. And when you bring your sins to Jesus, he's not going to point his finger at you and say, no, why did you do that? He's going to bring you close to himself and just love you. And with all the love of heaven, he's going to whisper peace to your heart. Now, that's hard for us to realize because men and women and young people, children, have a hard time forgiving each other. You know, when Jesus forgives, he forgets. I don't understand that, but that's what the Bible says. God remembers to forget. He doesn't hold our sins against us. He buries them in the sea of his forgetfulness and remembers them against us no more. We don't do that. Man, I wish human beings would forget and forgive like Jesus does. Don't you wish that? <laughs> well, listen, you don't ever have to be afraid to come to Jesus. You come with your sins, and you come with your heartaches, and you come with your disappointments. You come with your shame. You come with things that you can't tell anybody on earth. You just come and take them all to Jesus, and Jesus will forgive you. He looks into your heart, and he knows that you wouldn't come to him with them if you weren't sorry. You see, these disciples didn't really need bawling out because they were already, they already felt low. They felt discouraged and defeated. That's the way people do who get into sin. They feel defeated and discouraged because sin never makes anybody happy. There's not one thing in the Bible that the Bible calls sin that's good for a person. And when we allow sin to take its toll in our lives and damage us and hurt us and destroy us, why, well, that doesn't make us happy. We're not glad we're sinners. We're not glad in our sin. Oh, we may have a little thrill in it and we may try to hide it and cover it up, but all along deep inside we're afraid. We're filled with fear that somebody might find out or that I might get stuck in this thing or there some other consequence of the sin and we're miserable in it until we take it to Jesus and then Jesus forgives and he cleanses well let me hurry up this passage is so full I won't even get through this morning look at the last part beginning in verse well in verse 22 and when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit, because only the Holy Spirit can deal with sin. And then he said, As my Father hath sent me, so send I you. He gave them a purpose for living. He gave them a purpose. And listen, have you been purposeless? Have you wondered what on earth am I supposed to do for heaven's sake? What's my life goal all about? You just come to Jesus and he'll give you a purpose. You know who the first woman was? The first person at the tomb was Mary Magdalene. She went there not expecting a resurrection. She went to weep. She went to mourn. 
She went with a broken heart. Mary Magdalene is that woman out of whom Jesus cast seven demons. <laughs> she found something entirely different. She found hope. She found purpose. And you know what the Lord said to her? Mary, you go and tell. You go and tell. The angel said, come and see where the Lord lay. And then go and tell. He gave her a purpose. And then the, Jesus gave all the disciples a purpose. And you and I get in on that purpose. He said, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. He gives everybody a purpose for living. You're here today. You may wonder, what in the world's my purpose? God has a purpose for you. God has a wonderful purpose. He loves you very, very much. He wants to cleanse you from sin. He wants to take all of that old stuff out of you and then fill you up with Him so that you can go out and tell the world that you're a Christian and that Jesus is all that He said He would be. There's no disappointment in Jesus. I don't have time to tell you about Thomas the doubter. In the end of this chapter, old Tom wasn't at church on Sunday night and he doubted and, and Jesus didn't fuss at him. The next Sunday night when he met him, he just said, uh, Thomas, look at my hands. Look at my side. And that's all he needed. There's no record that Tom ever touched the hand of Jesus. He just said, my Lord and my God. And he believed. I wonder if you'll believe today. If you'll put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ and receive him as your Savior and your Lord. Will you do it? You'll never regret it. For all time and for all eternity, the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross makes the difference. For blood cleanses from sin. And the living Jesus moves into your life and he gives you the power over sin. Let's bow together in prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Our Father, we thank you that the gospel is so simple. All we've done this morning is just read the Bible and just talk about how good you were, how precious you were, and what you did at Calvary and at the empty tomb. Lord, we pray that just now some dear precious person who needs the Lord will open his heart to Jesus and come in Jesus' name. Remain in your seats. Remain with your head bowed and eyes closed. I'd like to ask the choir to stand and be ready to sing. Out of my bondage, sorrow and night, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come to thee. I wonder if there's somebody here this morning who'd just be willing to say, I want to get up out of my bondage and sorrow and night and come to Jesus. Somebody would be glad to move out of the way and let you out. While we remain seated, I'm going to ask that Christians pray. And someone here who needs the Lord, would you just get up and come and stand down here and say, I want to give my heart to Jesus. Just come right on while the choir begins to sing. Will you come?